Welcome to the Empowering Midlife Wellness Podcast, where we talk about everything to do with midlife women's wellness and creating the best second half of life. I'm your host, Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. I'm a board-certified gynecologist, certified menopause practitioner and hormone replacement specialist, as well as an ICF-certified life and leadership coach and lots of other things. So if you want to check me out and learn about my private practice and other offerings, my website is www www.drsusan.com. That's D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com. It's my commitment to stay neutral by not accepting advertising dollars from sponsors. So all of these episodes are offered freely. And the best way that you can help this podcast is to share it with your friends, leave a positive review, and also keep in mind this is simultaneously posted in video format on YouTube, where you can find me by searching for Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. This week on Empowering Midlife Wellness, I am sharing my experience from day number one of being an empty nester and laying out some of my thoughts about how to do this in a way that's happy and healthy for everybody. Hi friends and welcome to this week's episode. Well, I am on day number one of being an empty nester. I just got back from North Carolina last night after taking my last child to college. I've had a bit of an adventure. As some of you know, two years ago, my oldest child went to college. I thought I was a real rock star with that one. It was pretty straightforward. Now, granted, she had a pretty tough senior year and we were really ready to separate. It was difficult, but not that difficult. And I was also bolstered by the fact that I still had two kids at home. So I was kind of thinking I'd sort of nailed this whole empty nest thing. And then as happens, the world came around and reminded me I wasn't quite ready yet. And having twins uh, complete their senior year and then leave and go to college within the same two week period, that's been really interesting. So I had one go to college two weeks ago, we did her move in and then went back a week later for the whole sorority announcement thing. And then a few days after that, took the last one to North Carolina to college. So I've done two college move-ins, two big goodbyes, one sorority rush week thing, all in the last 14 days. (laughs) So I knew this was coming. I've done lots of preparation. I've been thinking for a couple of years. I really have about what am I gonna do? How is this gonna work? doing all the things that that we would coach you how to do, right? Like making sure I've got a strong network of friends. I've got plenty of things to do to keep myself interested. Goodness knows I've got a really busy job. There's lots of things going on in my own life, and that's great. But I'm not going to tell you all the reasons why this is great, because it's not. (laughs) It really hurts. And how to get through it and balance the fantastic reality that this is going exactly as planned, right? Assuming our kids graduated from high school, have enough independence to leave us, go away, not need us as much anymore. That is exactly what we wanted. And it really hurts. There's not a single part of me that wants them to stay in the house forever and not grow up. But recognizing that it hurts, I think, is number one. And we just don't talk about it very much. It's kind of like menopause. It's something that we all go through, but for some reason we're supposed to just suck it up and just realize it's normal and just move on through it. But I'm hoping that in sharing some of my feelings, and I was going to wait and process this for a while before I made this video, but I figured let me just make it today when it's all just like 
raw and fresh. And maybe that'll be more helpful because as much as we share our feelings, we realize we're not alone. We're not crazy. I have lots of crazy thoughts too about all the things. I'll tell you about some of them soon. We're not alone. And you're not alone if you're going through this too. And we all go through it differently. So it's like any type of grief. And this is a type of grief. We have lost perhaps the part of our life that we wanted the most. You know, there was a certain time in my life where I couldn't get pregnant. I was an infertility patient and I wanted a baby more than anything in the world, anything in the world. And so once I had three, I was lucky to get one, but I really thought I'd made it. It was like, okay, I, I've checked that box. I've, I've made it. I'm a mom. That's what I always wanted. And then having this family, this family, that's all I ever wanted. And now that part is over. There is a lot of grief that goes along with that. Just the grief of knowing every little thing that they're doing. You know, when they're little and you literally know what they're eating, how much they're sleeping, how many times they pooped every day. You know who their friends are. You know what books they read. And now, I mean, how much does your mom know about you? I mean, mine knows very little. <laughs> You know, it just we, we get further apart, and that's normal and natural. But there is some grief in that, just that real intimacy that we had when we just knew somebody that well, and now we don't. And is that normal and what we want? Yes, of course. Of course it is. And it hurts. So in recognizing that people grieve differently, if you're in a partnership or you're married, you know, your husband or partner might think this is all totally fine, which it is. <laughs> But people grieve differently. And, and no, none of this is parenting advice. Goodness knows I am not a parenting coach. I'm not telling you how to do things the best. I'm just sharing my experience in as much as that might be helpful. Some of it might not be helpful. So take what's helpful and throw the rest away. Uh, but having gone through this uh, fairly recently, like yesterday, with three kids over the past two years, you know, I've I've learned a little bit, and, and maybe that can help, especially maybe you're someone who's going to go through this in the future. And it does take some preparation, I think, so that we can do this in the way that we can really feel proud of. And I, I can say that my college drop-offs, I feel proud of. Were they perfect? No. Did I screw up a few things? Absolutely. But overall, it went well. I'm not regretful about anything. And, you know, I'm on day one. I haven't done anything terrible yet. I haven't called them in tears, begging them to come home. <laughs> I thought about it, but haven't actually done it yet. So I've done lots of reading. I've been thinking a lot, listening to lots of emptiness podcasts and reading poems and all of those things, trying to get my mind around this. And I'm going to keep doing that. So I kind of put my thoughts into some categories of things that were helpful for me. And maybe they will be for you because these are some holes that I can fall in really easily. And I have done so and seen how that wasn't helpful. So maybe we could fall in those holes less frequently. <laughs> Number one, don't take things personally. Well, that could be just a statement for life, really. And if you read those four agreements, that's one of them. Don't take things personally. And what that means to me is trying not to get my emotions entangled with emotions of my adult child. For example, this is a roller coaster for them. Remember, it's the kid that's going to college, not you. I mean, for us, it's painful because they're leaving home, or, or perhaps it's joyful that they're leaving home, but whatever emotion we're attaching to them leaving. Remember, this is a kid, an 18, 19-year-old going away from home, perhaps even to the other side of the country, as in the case of one of 
or two of mine, that's a big deal. And not to make their emotions your own. Um, I have done so, and it doesn't end well. You know, our hearts break for our children when they suffer and struggle, but we have to let them do that. I have to let mine do that and not jump in and try to fix everything and not make my emotions theirs either because my emotions are not their problem. So I don't want them to worry about me and think that I'm sad or that I can't handle it or that I'm not going to have any life without them. And there may be times that I feel that way, but it sure as heck is not their problem. So doing our best not to... Now, we want to be honest with our kids, of course, but not to make our emotions their problem. Certainly, please don't make them feel guilty about leaving or in any way that you're not okay. They don't need that when they're starting their college journey. And at the same time, when they have their highs and lows, to try to detach with love that I'll talk about a little bit more in a moment. These are not my emotions. Those are her emotions. Let me tell you about some of those. Um, just going through rush week, for example, Every time she got cut from a sorority and it got down to a lower number, I felt like my heart was being ripped out. I had to just sort of not even listen to it anymore because there was one point at the end, um, many of you know, you start with, I don't know, 12 or something, then it slowly gets cut down. And then if you're really lucky, you end up with the one that you want. And that did actually happen in my daughter's case. But the road to that is so painful with like interviews and being turned down by some. And you don't know why, because they said they loved you. So why did they cut you? And what's wrong with me? And so I was going through that with her and getting all the blow by blow of what happened and just feeling like it was happening to me. But it wasn't happening to me. Those were her emotions. And everything turned out just fine. <laughs> Good Lord. Like one point, I guess the day before the end of the thing, when you have two choices left, one of them she loved and one of them she didn't. And she texted me and said, Mom, if I don't get sorority number one, life will just be over. I mean, everything will just be over. This is an 18-year-old's feeling. She, she really felt like that was true. And so I'm just like, oh, my God, like, what if she doesn't get it? Well, she did. But, you know, honestly, if she hadn't, everything would have been fine. I mean, if we can just not take things personally. So that's my number one piece of advice that I give myself. These are not my emotions. My one who moved to North Carolina the day before she left as happened, said, I don't want to go. I made a mistake. It's too far. I don't know anyone. I should have gone to UT. Why did I make this choice? I, I'm not going to have any friends. The whole works. Bawling hysterically. Now, part of me was like, oh my God, we need to fix this. Let's get you out of that school and into one closer to home. I mean, there was a part of me who definitely went through that thought process. But I was able to pull myself together and recognize this is normal. She is scared. She's going to be just fine in about 24 hours. And guess what? We got to school, and in about 10 minutes, she had six new best friends on her dorm room floor. And now she's been there for 72 hours, and she's sending me photos of all her new giant friend group and all the fun things they're doing together. <laughs> So we can see how this goes, right? It's so easy to get sucked into what I call other people's drama. So with our kids, so easy to do because we don't want them to suffer. I mean, don't we? Honestly, 
we do want them to suffer because we can't learn anything without struggling, without going through those difficult moments of being terrified of leaving and going to a whole new state where you literally don't know anyone and then realizing very quickly that you can make it work. You know, in a different scenario where we had overreacted about that and pulled her out of that school and put her in a different one, which is what she said she wanted, that would have been a terrible thing to do. So, you know, just allowing our kids to suffer is so hard. I know I feel it, but we have to let them do it within reason. Now, I'm going to rescue them if they're dying. But short of that, I'm going to let them, I hope, figure it out on their own. You know, it's in the figuring it out that they learn to be independent adults. God forbid if my kids cannot figure out anything without calling me. And we're just about a pair away from that right now where I get called about, how do you do this and how do you do that? And, you know, we give them advice, but at less and less advice as they get older so they can figure it out on their own. And I have actually said this a few times to my kids. I don't know how you do that. You'll have to go figure it out, which is really hard. I truly don't. One of my other kids was like, I'm in this class. I hate it. I don't know how to get out of it and change to a different one. Can you help me? I need someone to help me. And I said, I don't know how to do that either. And you will figure it out so hard to do. I'm not going to jump in the car and drive to Austin and go to the dean's office and help her figure it out. These are young adults and we've got to let them figure it out. So don't take it personally. This is not your life. This is not your journey. These are not your emotions. And it's so hard to do. Believe me, I'm going through that right now. Number two, I mentioned earlier, which is this idea of detaching with love. Such a hard thing to do because detachment sounds cold, doesn't it? It sounds like I'm cutting you off. I don't care about you. But detaching with love is healthy. Now, what I mean by that is just letting that cord get pretty thin. Maybe we're not cutting it all together, but going back to what I was saying earlier, just allowing them to go through the highs and lows of life without us swooping in and saving them whenever they need help. So detaching with love is Similar to the first part, not taking it personally, just keeping my emotions over here as much as I can and letting them have their emotions over there, letting them find their own way and not rescuing them all the time. So detachment, one author I love described it this way, you know, our whole lives until now with these kids, they have been in the center of the focus. If you think of yourself as a photographer, in the center of your focus has been these children, whether they've been in front of you or not. They've been in your mind, in the center field of whatever you're thinking for 18 plus years, right? So she actually described having been a photographer herself when she's feeling that way. Perhaps she's lying in bed and just ruminating about the kids, like, what are they doing? What are they eating? What are they thinking? Why didn't they call me? Why didn't they answer my text? shift your lens like and she describes literally shifting your focus onto something else and that something else might be another person or group of people who needs you they don't need us anymore so shifting our focus to another group who needs you maybe that's a charity maybe that's your work maybe that's your neighbor your friends your parents like somebody else who can find you useful <laughs> because goodness knows we're not that useful to our adult, young adult children anymore. And shifting our focus, not meaning that we're leaving them alone or cutting them off at all, just that 
not putting our primary attention on our kids anymore because they are not here anymore. They have gone and this is happening. It's real. And we want to keep them in the back of our minds. But, you know, maybe we go three days without thinking about them. I'm not there yet, but there'll be a time in the future where I'll go three days without thinking about them. And that does not make me a bad mother. That just means that I have detached with love. I'm available. I'm always going to be here if you need something. I'm no longer the primary person that's responsible for you. I'm like your emergency backup plan. I'm always going to be here for you. And that's just a given. That's something that you know. So you, young adult, can approach me when you need something. I'm going to be over here living my own life with my focus on other people, other things, other people who find me useful because you don't anymore, and that is perfectly healthy. But I do love that idea of detachment in that healthy way. Now, it's a little bit like this idea of letting go, which I find very interesting to think about. I mean, what are we letting go of? It's like they're gone already. They're, they're already gone. What we're letting go of is the attachment to the idea right? Because they're already gone. There is nothing to be attached to anymore, nothing to let go of. They are gone. So what we're doing is letting go of our idea, letting go of the attachment in our mind, letting go of the attention that we give them in our mind, letting go of the amount of time we spend thinking about them. Doesn't make you a bad parent if you think about your kids less once they're gone, because it means you care about you. So you're giving yourself time to give yourself what you need because they are fine now. You know why? Because you did a good job at being a parent. You did a good job, mom. Now they are gone and you do not have to think about them 24 hours a day. So when I find myself doing that, I love that recommendation. Shift your lens to something else, to someone else who finds you useful and make yourself useful in some other way. There's so many ways to do that. And many of us have that in the ways I mentioned, through our work, through our charities, other family members, friends, people who are here that really do want to spend time with you because our teenagers don't. And that is normal. God forbid they would not want to leave. That would be a whole nother podcast, whole nother story. Another piece of advice I really love is to resist the urge to connect with them multiple times a day. Now, I'm not there yet. I'll just tell you, we're still in the very early few days of moving. So I'm getting a lot of just transactional texts like, hey, I need money for this, or I didn't get my laundry hamper yet, or when's that shampoo arriving? Um, <laughs> outside of the transactional texts, once they're all set up, I really love the idea of not checking in on them unless they ask you to, of course. I love this idea. If I say, hey, how's your roommate? How's your first class? Do you like your teacher, etc.?" If we're m multiple times a day asking them how they're feeling, that sort of forces them to answer in a way that might dictate how they actually do feel. Because, you know, when you put words around something, it can become real. And I love this idea that if I say, well, how is this and how is that? And they say, oh, it's great or it's not great. Maybe they don't know yet. Maybe the real answer is, I'm not sure yet. I need a bit of time to figure it out. Uh, so not forcing them to come down with a judgment about whether they like something or not. Maybe just leaving that open-ended. Or maybe just not reaching out with those questions and letting them come to you so hard. It's so hard. I want to text them 50 times a day. 
Uh, Tina Fey did this really funny piece on Jimmy Fallon, some of you guys might have seen it, that having a teenage girl is like having an office crush. I thought that was very cute, where you care about them way more than they care about you, but you're trying to act really cool, like, hey, do you want to go to dinner? I know you're probably busy, but some of us are going to dinner. I'm sure you're busy, so no big deal. It's kind of like that, where, yeah, let's just sort of back off from looking at our phone every five seconds to see if they called us or if they texted us or, you know, it's a bit obsessive. I, I can tell you I've done it, no judgment, but can we just put it away? They are in a safe place. They are fine. If they have a real emergency, they know how to reach you, but just stepping back, detaching a little bit, letting go a little bit of that clinging to wanting that relationship to be like it was when they were tan and they would cuddle you and think that you, the stars and the moon came out of your head. We all got those cards, right, for Mother's Day. And, you know, keep them. I've kept mine. It's not that way anymore. So letting go of what's already gone. I love that idea. And here's another saying that I love about recognizing when you're not doing that and stopping. Um, one author said, I recognize when I'm putting rocks in their backpack or making their life more difficult. So if I'm bugging them all the time, asking them how they're doing, or God forbid, telling them how sad I am or how I'm not going to be okay without them, that is putting rocks in their backpack. Don't do that. You know, we want them to fly. We want them to be free, to not worry about us. So I really love that image. Whenever I catch myself doing something that could equate to putting rocks in their backpack, oh, I'm going to breathe and try to undo it. Maybe if I've already done it, I might require an apology or just don't do it again. Let them fly. They don't need us to be holding them back. Hard. It's so hard. Here's my number three, and this is just another rule of life. This feeling that you're having right now is not permanent. It's all impermanent. No feeling is forever. There's times where it feels so hard. I can tell you, I was really proud of myself. Yesterday, I flew home. I got the plane. I drove home. I got home to the empty house. Dogs were here, quiet, no cars in the driveway, all the things that I used to get annoyed about. Why did you park in the wrong place? There's clothes everywhere. No, the house is perfectly clean. The housekeepers come by. It's quiet. All the times I said, turn the music down, go to bed early. No music, nobody up late. Yeah, it, it felt very empty. And I got a good sleep, did all my self-care stuff, woke up this morning. You know, I went to work, had a great day. I've got so many fantastic things. And when I woke up this morning, I felt like I had a hole in my heart. I felt like you feel when you wake up and remember that somebody broke up with you or died. You know that feeling when you wake up and like, oh shit, it's real. That feeling. And I didn't last very long. I luckily had something to do, got up, put myself together, got to work, was able to focus my attention on people who care about me, who need me, my patients, my coworkers, my friends. And it, it helped that feeling to go away. So when you're feeling like that, just to recognize it's not permanent. In fact, none of this is permanent. What, whatever's happening with your kids. I've had an experience with my oldest where I was actually estranged completely for several months. Um, that was a space that she needed, which was incredibly painful. It felt very permanent. I was certain she would never talk to me again. Well, now we're like, tight as anything. She talks to me 
more than the others do. She's decorating her apartment. She's calling me all the time, asking my advice about things. She had to come back to me and that space was very impermanent. So whatever it is, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you've got a kid who's calling you 50 times a day and crying and they hate their roommate and they're homesick and want to come home. Also not permanent or anything in between, <laughs> not permanent. This has changed. It wasn't like this before. This is new. Life is impermanent. Everything's impermanent. So whatever it is that you're feeling, if it's great, enjoy it. It won't last forever. If it's terrible, recognize that it won't last forever. And you know, when you're feeling down or feeling that hole in your heart or just like somebody died or that you have lost part of the, yourself that you'll never get back or all of those things that we experience, get up, go for a walk, Put yourself in front of someone that you can care for in some way, whether it's a stranger at the grocery store to strike up a conversation with. In my job, it's easy. I get to take care of people and that makes me feel good. But somehow shifting the attention away from yourself and letting what's naturally impermanent pass because everything will pass. And then somehow we've got to figure out a way to find joy in the letting go, in the watching this pass, which is the hard part. You know, I'm having some moments, it's up and down, right? I mean, sometimes it is joyful. Like when I got pictures from my daughter that was sure she was gonna be miserable and lonely and made a, made, made a huge mistake with her college choice, sending me pictures of all of her friends at a soccer game last night, so joyful. Or recognizing her roommate is so sweet and that she can go to her roommate when she needs advice about certain things. So sweet just to recognize they've got other people around them who can help them now. And I don't necessarily want to be the one that they rely on every time they need advice, that they've got other people. And that brings me joy. So all of those things, yes, it's not permanent. Whatever you're feeling now, it will change and let it do so, let it pass. So my number four for myself is redefining what it means to be a good parent, which is so interesting. And I've alluded to some of this already. For me, you know, being a safe place really resonates. I love this idea and I brought it up actually at our last retreat. My intention, and every time I set an intention now in public, it's to be a safe place for others. That's somebody who will not harm you, won't put rocks in your backpack, won't make your life more difficult, won't be judgmental, won't be selfish. And it's hard to do that all the time, but it's a great aspiration. I think it's a great intention. So if perhaps now a good parent is someone who backs off a bit, now we wanna let our kids know we are always going to be there for them. And then when they do choose to come home, and I wanna talk about that too, not expecting anything, there's no obligation. I want them to come home freely when they want to, not because I've said, you know, you'll break my heart if you don't come home for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Not like that, right? But just to say, hey, you know, I, it would be great. I'd love it if you came home for Thanksgiving. I'm here. And then see what they decide. So being a safe place, not judgmental, not critical, not any of those things, not putting rocks in their backpack, letting them make their own decisions. And sometimes that means either willingly or unwillingly, giving them a big amount of space, like my oldest daughter, who literally needed a few months of just quiet from me. 
and from everybody, honestly, just needed to have a clean break to figure out who she was and then was able to come back and interact with me as an adult. So everybody needs different things and we want to allow them to do it their way. So coming back to this idea of redefining what a good parent is, you know, when they were tiny, it was something completely different. You know, a primary role when they were really little was to keep them safe. Like, you know, don't crawl off the edge of a staircase and crack your head open. <laughs> you know, basic stuff, right? And so this balance between keeping them safe and allowing them to have freedom has really changed. You know, when they're babies, there's a whole bunch of keeping them safe and very little freedom. You know, maybe they start learning to walk and they get a little bit of freedom. I'll let you walk just that far and that's it, right? There's a fence. And then that continues as they get older. And, and now that they're going to college, there's really no more of this keeping them safe. Uh, that's not a thing. Um, it's all just freedom because we've given them the tools, hopefully, to make good decisions. And then we let them do whatever happens with that. And so will they screw it up and fall down and get hurt? Absolutely. I mean, did anybody get out of life without getting hurt? Are they going to get their hearts broken? They might get in a car accident. They might fail a test. They might sleep through finals. They might not eat the right food and gain a bunch of weight. They might do all kinds of things. They might forget to brush their teeth and get cavities. Oh, I can't even imagine how many things they might do like I did, like you did, because this is how you learn to be an adult. So what is our parents' role in all of that? I think to be a safe place for them to come to only when they want to, because I don't want a relationship with someone out of obligation. I do not want a relationship with my adult children that's transactional or obligatory or because that's what we do in our family or else, or because you'll break your mother's heart or any of those things. I want them to come back to me because they want to. And is that a pretty raw deal? Yes, it is. But we signed up to be parents at some point, assuming we did so willingly. That is what it is to be a parent. It's not fair. It isn't. <laughs> and requiring it to be fair so that I'll give you this if you give me that. I mean, no, no, that is not my definition of a good parent at this point. It's have a nice life. I am not responsible for you anymore, but I will always be here. I love you more than anything in the world. I love you more than anyone will ever love you and I'm always here for you. And if you really need help, you know I will be there, but I'm gonna let you figure it out yourself. It's a big change and I'm working on it daily. Number five on my list is being myself and showing them, modeling them how to be a real person, which is something you can do with an adult child, I think. You have an opportunity to show them, hey, you know, when you were younger and I was like super mom and, you know, the sun glowed out of my head and I was perfect. I'm not. I make mistakes. I've had pain. I've been divorced. I've struggled and I'm still okay. And so teaching them that failure isn't bad or wrong by modeling that as a real person. I think that's a real opportunity of the second half of life with adult children that we can stop modeling what we, we really needed to when they were little. That was different. We weren't sharing everything with them about our personal lives when they were 10 or five. And we certainly don't have to do that now either, but giving them a glimpse into who we really are. And I've actually had fun with that in the past year. My kids have finally started to understand that I am a human being with feelings. And 
ask questions like, hey, mom, how's your job going? Wow, that's really amazing that you do that at work. I, you know, they'd never thought about that before. Uh, one of my daughters was really interested in the surgeries that I do. Like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? That's like recognizing that I'm a human being or recognizing some of the subtleties that happened in the divorce that hit them like a ton of bricks when they were around 10 years old. Now they're starting to understand like, yeah, I, I can see why that happened. And I, you know, I love both you and dad, but I sort of understand how that works more from an adult point of view or whatever the situation might be. So what I'm teaching myself is not to model to them some perfect parent type anymore who doesn't share with them what's really going on, but to, to tell them a little bit more about my real life, my real feelings. Also keeping those boundaries, of course, doesn't mean I'm sharing everything with them about my sex life or wanting them to be my best friend. Absolutely not. But modeling, I think most importantly, struggle and failure and letting them know your real story a little bit as they get older. I, I love that idea. And I'm experiencing that with my oldest child now that we're actually interacting as two adults. She tells me about her life. I tell her about mine. She asks my opinion about things that she wants some advice about. I ask her opinion about things I want advice about. It's really fun to see that happen. So I'm still her mom, but I'm really not a parent in that way. We're more like two adults interacting and sharing from each other what we can benefit from kind of like what friends would do with boundaries. So, you know, we just see that relationship change. And I think that's a really important thing to do, uh, that we can open up and be ourselves. And what a great lesson for our girls, perhaps especially, to see strong women modeling what it's like to grow up and be independent. I had an example of this yesterday, for example. We were had finished all of the college move-in stuff, and then the following day there were some activities in the morning, and there were some parents were supposed to go to and some students were going to go to. Anyway, we had a lot of things to do, and one of them was we had to get my daughter's car from the hotel and drive it over to the student parking lot. Well, that took longer than expected. Long story short, we were running a little bit late for this event that she had to go to, so we're driving you know, as fast as legally possible to get to this event. She was really nervous that she might be late. And so this is the moment we were going to say goodbye. I was going to go to the airport. And so she's nervous and almost in tears. And I'm trying to calm her down and, you know, say, hey, Isabel, I'm going to leave soon. So let's spend a little moment together. She, I pulled up the car. She jumped out of the car and said, bye, mom. And I ran away because she was trying to get to this thing. So I sat in the car and she had just took off. We didn't really say goodbye. And I, I thought to myself, that is not the way I need to end this. So I went and got some coffee, sat and waited for things to be over, texted her and said, hey, I'm outside where I dropped you off. Can we redo that goodbye? Because that didn't go the way that I wanted to. And I know we were both scared. Well, she was very open to that idea. So she came back with a friend. A friend took some pictures. We did our hug. It was quick. I didn't hover. Told her I loved her. She was going to do great. All of those things. And then I apologized. I said, hey, I'm sorry about that, how that went earlier. I'm a little nervous too. I'm going to be just fine, but this is new for me. I was just feeling scared. And she said, yes, me too. And it was just such a beautiful time of being vulnerable and open. We got to redo it. I didn't hang around and cling on to her like a koala bear, even though I wanted to. And then I gave her a kiss and she walked off with her friend and I went to the airport. And if I hadn't done that, I would have just felt awful. I, number one, I hadn't shared with her what was really going on. She would have been confused. 
and I didn't get to have the closure that we both needed. So I think just telling someone, and it almost always is the same, right? It's almost always some version of, I screwed up, I was scared, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I was scared, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I mean, that goes a long way. And I can't think of many instances where I behaved badly when the origin wasn't, I'm scared. You know, can you think of one? I mean, it pretty much comes down to some form of fear. So yeah, can we just say that? And no, can you say that to a 10-year-old? Not really, but to an 18-year-old, maybe you can. And I'm gonna be okay. Uh, let's finish with that because I don't want her to worry that I'm scared and going to go home and fall apart. But she knows I was scared for a moment. I fixed it. Everybody's good. And last but not least, number six, I'm just going to say have no expectations of your kids. Now, you might not like that one. Some of us were brought up differently. I know in different cultures, we have a lot of expectations of our kids. But expectation breeds disappointment. So what do our kids owe us now? Now, I'm gonna say nothing. Just like we didn't, they did not ask to be born. Now they all got a lot and we gave them so much and that is part of the deal. So what can I expect from them right now? I can expect for them to be off on their own and pretty much forget about me. Now, if I get more than that, which I probably will, I'll be overjoyed. But expecting them to call me a certain number of times a week or expecting that they have to come home for a certain period of time over the holidays or requiring them to do these things, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think that's the right way to look at it, at least for me. I think the healthiest expectation I should have is that they are completely devoted to their own lives, their own friendships, their own relationships. And mom is a safe space that I can call when I want to. And if I get more than that, great. But they do not owe me anything. I know that's a hard one to swallow. And what do I owe them? I owe them what I said, that I'll be a safe place for them. I'll always be here. I will love them unconditionally. Other than that, we don't owe each other anything. And if we think about it that way, when we are together, it's because we choose to be. And that's a big one for, for me to get my head around. But I know from experience that expectation leads to disappointment. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want my kids to feel like they're disappointing me. Yeah, that's a tough one. Good job, mom. You did it. You raised kids. You set them free. Now they owe you nothing. Slate is clean. And when they give you something, it's out of love, not out of obligation. So those are my thoughts on being a brand new empty nester for one day. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe. We always love those five-star reviews too. If you love it, go ahead and write one of those. It would be really cool. That would help us a lot and help spread the word. And I cannot wait to see you next week. Mm -hmm.